Let's talk about your next patient. This patient was initially diagnosed in 2000. He was 54 at the time, and he presented with a PSA of 15 and an abnormal digital rectal exam, and biopsies of the prostate showed extensive Gleason 7 disease. He received external beam radiation therapy together with androgen ablation at the time, and he had a good response with a PSA that went down to 0.1, although shortly thereafter started to rise while he was still on his androgen ablation. He was treated at a tertiary care center for years and initially was treated with secondary hormonal manipulation. Remarkably, he was placed on ketoconazole and had approximately five years of response. And ultimately, he tried other things such as nilutamide and flutamide. But by March 2008, his scan showed bony metastases as well as pulmonary metastases and lymphadenopathy. He was treated on a clinical trial at that time with docetaxel every three weeks plus samarium that was administered every nine weeks. And he tolerated it well, but developed dose-limiting thrombocytopenia that required him to come off study. It's at this time that he came under my care, and I continued the docetaxel alone, which his blood counts were able to tolerate. And he was able to receive 16 cycles in total of the chemotherapy. At that point, his PSA was rising and treatment was stopped. This was March 2009. And I retried the ketoconazole, which he had a very brief response to for a few months, and then his PSA started to rise rapidly. This was July 2009, and this gentleman has a history of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and I was very hesitant to use mitoxantrone in him. And given my limited options, I rechallenged him with docetaxel, and remarkably, he again had a good PSA response, and he received 12 more cycles of therapy. This took us to March 2010, at which time PSA was rising, and scans did show some increase in the pulmonary disease. I treated him at that time with carboplatin and paclitaxel, which he did not tolerate very well. He received that for about three months. It was complicated by severe cytopenias. And scans repeated in August 2010 now showed increasing bony metastases. Fortunately, in July, cabazitaxel had been approved, and so he was initiated on cabazitaxel at the end of August 2010. And initially, at full dose, he had significant side effects with diarrhea, neutropenia, and was hospitalized with a bout of febrile neutropenia. I reduced the dose of the treatment slightly. He had already gotten a growth factor even with the first cycle, and I continued that. And his PSA has remarkably stayed about stable. It's gone down a bit and has been maintained in the 350 to 400 range. I've done restaging scans intermittently. His disease has radiographically remained stable, and he just completed his 14th cycle of the therapy, and he continues on this chemo. He does have intermittent fevers that I'm concerned might represent tumor fevers, so I am a little concerned that we may be getting to the end of our response to this agent, and we may need to move on. But right now, he's doing well. Matt, what about neutropenia and gabazitaxel and the use of growth factors? So in the phase three study, the pivotal phase three study that led to approval of gabazitaxel, significant febrile neutropenia was observed, and there were actually you know excess treatment-related deaths in the gabazitaxel arm. So I think that there's clear guidance about use of growth factors in this setting. So for older patients, I believe the age cutoff should be individualized to 65. Patients should receive prophylactic growth factor support. And for many patients, I've 
dose reduced from 25 to 20 milligrams per meter squared with the goal of increasing tolerability. This guy's remarkable in many ways. With following dose reduction, he tolerated treatment well, and he's been on therapy for quite a long time in a man with docetaxel refractory disease. Has he had any symptoms from the treatment, Stacy, other than the issue with his white count? He complains of some fatigue. He has some, certainly, chemotherapy-induced anemia, which contributes to the fatigue. But he has some low-grade fevers, usually for the first few days after each infusion, and some mild, loose stools. But they're easily controlled with Imodium or other anti-diarrheal medications, and otherwise is done remarkably well. Anything new, Matt, in terms of understanding the mechanism of action of this agent, particularly compared to others? So, yeah, there's clear preclinical data that it's a poor substrate for multidrug resistance, and that's fundamentally why it was kind of moved from early phase right to phase three in prostate cancer specifically. So there's good evidence to support basically the now clinical observations from the phase three trial. And there's, as I understand, an ongoing plan to look at the two taxanes compared head-to-head with the expectation that cabazitaxel would have superiority. What's your take right now, both in terms of your own clinical experience, Matt, as well as in the literature in terms of tolerability of this agent, particularly compared to docetaxel? Well, it's certainly more difficult for patients to tolerate than docetaxel. Now, part of that's a bit unfair, right, because we're talking about patients who've already had docetaxel, so by definition, they're more extensively pretreated. And there's some suggestion of the issue of pretreatment, even if you look at the rates of neutropenia and other adverse events in the mitoxantrone arm of the pivotal cabazitaxel trial. But having said that, by patient experience and laboratory evidence, I believe that cabazitaxel is more difficult to tolerate than docetaxel. Now, is that mainly in terms of cytopenias? What about actual symptomatic side effects? My impression, and again, I think supported by the results of the phase three study, is there is a higher rate higher rates of fatigue, GI toxicity than with docetaxel. Again, with the caveat that they're more extensively pretreated patients. But it's a drug that I use with caution, particularly in the elderly. Stacey, any observations yourself? Very similar, I would say. More fatigue, although diarrhea is mentioned as one of the higher concerns from coming out of the study. I have not seen severe diarrhea, but the fatigue I have found to be quite limiting for my patients. And where do you see things heading for him in the future? So this man's remarkable in another way, in that he had an extraordinary response to ketoconazole. He's received ketoconazole for something on the order of a total of seven years. So that makes him an outlier. He's in probably the 99th percentile of ketoconazole responders. And I would have particular enthusiasm to see him treated with abiraterone for that reason, because it's a far more potent androgen biosynthesis inhibitor. And I would think that he's particularly likely to respond to abiraterone. Now that newer drugs have come out, cabazitaxel, the question is what role, if any, is there to rechallenge patients with docetaxel? So I think the principle I like to apply largely came out of an era when, you know, we had very few drugs. So when docetaxel is the only drug that improves overall survival, a decision to discontinue it comes with some gravity, right? So if you say you're docetaxel refractory, You have other drugs, but they have no known OS benefit. Now that we have more options, I think it's important that we not be cavalier in switching from one drug to the other without clear evidence of a patient being refractory. So operationally, my routine clinical practice, separate from clinical trials, 
would be to say a patient's docetaxel refractory if they have unequivocal radiographic or symptomatic progression on drug or within some number of months after discontinuing treatment, say six months. So if you have a patient who had a nice response, they've stable disease or responding at the time they take a holiday and they don't progress for a year, then I would retreat them with docetaxel. I would have no great rush to treat them with say, second-line chemotherapy, provided they tolerated first-line treatment reasonably well. Again, at a sort of a more personal level, Stacy, what's it been like taking care of him? It's been really a pleasure. He and his wife are very knowledgeable, make an effort to educate themselves, come in with appropriate questions. They stay up on everything that's out there, the new things that are out there. He really he advocates for himself, which I really appreciate while at the same time he respects what I have to say, he listens to my recommendations. And it's been a nice partnership. Matt, what did he say to you? I was struck by the same impression that he was a particularly effective patient, perhaps through his many years of experience. But I think he had it just about right in terms of trying to educate himself about his disease, to come prepared to clinic visits with appropriate questions, and then to put the appropriate amount of trust in Dr. Leibowitz. 